That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and begin. Uh, and we will begin with a word of prayer, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, um, excuse me. O King who comes in the name of the Lord, through your birth and death, earth and heaven were joined together in peace. May your coming as King into Jerusalem in humility on the donkey help us to see that you continue to come to us as our King hidden in humble water. Um, 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 that you continue to come to us as our King hidden in humble water. Humble words, humble food. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God. Excuse me. One God. Now and forever. Amen. Amen. So you may be wondering why I talked about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. That's, that's because... Uh, if you keep up with our congregation at prayer, uh, the readings for the day, they come straight out of the lectionary that, the, that, that is in your hymnal, that's actually written out in the Treasury of Daily Prayer. Uh, I recommend, if you, don't, if you don't have something like this, get this. In fact, I think it's a great resource. Uh, it makes, makes reading the Bible every single day a really easy thing to do. It gives you an Old Testament read. It gives you a psalm. Old Testament, New Testament, and then uh, a writing from like Martin Luther or from our Lutheran Confessions or something like that based on the readings for the day. And then it has a hymn stanza and a prayer of the day. And then a suggested reading from the Book of Concord. It's got the Psalms. It's got all kinds of stuff. I could, I could have a whole class on this. This is a great resource. So uh, if you need help ordering one or whatever, you can talk to me. I can help you out there. But my family and I use this every day, basically. It's a great, great tool. Um, but that's why that prayer was about the triumphal entry, because that's the New Testament reading for today. Um, anyway, so we are going to be studying Romans for the foreseeable future. And just so you all have an idea of how long that future is, uh, take take one and pass it down. That's our schedule for this class. I thought it was a hot quiz again. No, no quizzes. <laughs> yeah, that's next week. Yeah, no quizzes. Um, you know, I, this this is one of those things where I really want to make sure that uh, you know we we have a schedule, we stay on schedule, but things happen. You know, some sometimes you have to uh, cancel class, postpone it, whatever. Um, reschedule. So if that happens, we'll just adjust as needed. Um, does seven does seven o'clock work for everybody on Wednesday? Mm -hmm. um, works for me Okay, good. Because I figured, I figured you know, for people that work or or whatever you know, or just people in general, like six o'clock is kind of the five thirty six thirty is kind of the range of dinner, <laughs> and to cut into that time, you know, I really don't want to do that uh, to people. And it kind of helps my family out, too. It's nice to be able to have some dinner and then come and have class. Uh, instead of having to rush, 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 rush all the time. Gave me time to fix my toilet. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I played plumber. Nice. So you can see that on our schedule, uh, that's just what we'll be doing. And it's just right down the line, but it'll give you an idea of how long this will take if we do all 
17 sessions, one after the other. And of course, if we need to slow down, we can slow down. It's, it's really not that big of a deal um, because this doesn't really get into, this will be all through the summer season, the Trinity season and the church year. So we're not gonna cut into Advent or anything like that. So if we need to extend it a little bit more, that's totally fine. Um, but that's just a way for us to keep track of where we are. Um, the resource we'll be using is Romans, uh, the subtitle, Romans Righteous by Faith by Dr. Charles Gieschen. Um, this is, this was something back in like 2002, but I, it caught my eye because CPH has different series. They have like the Life Light series, which is very basic. It's good, but it's very basic. And this one kind of goes in a little bit more in depth, God's Abiding Word series. So I figured this was a good one. And I know the man who wrote it. He was one of my professors in the seminary. He was uh, the academic dean at uh, the seminary in Fort Wayne. So it's, it's good content. There's good stuff in here. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. Because I actually taught Romans when I was on Vicarage. Uh, and I put it all together myself. And then when I looked back to find it, I couldn't find what I, what I had oh, done. I was like, no, man, all that work is just gone. It's gone somewhere. Lost the thumb drive. Well, it's like lost in the cloud or something nowadays. So it's, it's gone, but that's okay. I looked at this and I was like, this is going to be good. Uh, because it puts it in a different realm uh, and kind of helps frame it in a way that maybe you haven't thought about it before. If you've ever done a study on Romans, which... Most of y'all probably have done a study on Romans at one point in time, right? No, never? No, okay, good. So this will be a good, uh, a good intro and maybe a good refresher for some others, okay? So you'll see on there, there's, there's a table of contents. Uh, but then the next page is uh, getting started, okay? And we're just going to read through it. Um, and then we'll get into session one or study one, the purpose of Romans. So I'll just read... Uh, getting started. So because St. Paul's letter to the Romans pre presents extensive teaching on, on central um, on central issues of the Christian faith, it has played an important role in the life of the Christian church. Over the centuries, various controversies have risen about the interpretation of Romans, such as the Reformation teaching, that sinners are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. To clarify the issues and explain the apostles' teaching, this study guide walks you through Romans sentence by sentence. As you work through this study with your particular Bible translation, remember that these notes are based on St. Paul's um, uh, Greek text, right? Um, unless otherwise noted, the English translations are those of the study guide author. The divisions and outlines stem from the apostles' sentence structure and train of thought. And this study also places special emphasis on Paul's use of questions throughout Romans. Fully one-fourth of his sentences, uh, sentences end with a question mark. Did y'all know that? I, no, I, I thought don't. that was very interesting. I didn't realize that, that... One, that a quarter of what Paul says in the book of Romans are questions, okay? Paul's questions appear as quotations throughout this Bible study, followed by references to guide you to Paul's answers. 
By working through the apostles' own questions, you will gain deep, deep, uh, you will gain deep insights into his letter. Okay, and then uh, a personal letter. Since he mentioned the Greek, I better get my Greek out. Okay, um, a personal letter. When the leaders of the house churches in Rome broke the clay seal and unwrapped Paul's epistle, or, or. Or letter, they would not have read a sentence here or a portion there. They would have sat down and read the entire letter at once, the same way you read a, a letter from a dear friend. When these same leaders presented Paul's epistle to their congregations, they would not have read portions during a worship service, but rather the entire, but rather the entire um, epistle. The point is this. To get the most out of the study of Paul's epistle to the Romans, find a quiet place and read the entire letter from start to finish. This will take from one to one and a half hours. Don't pause and ponder. Don't pause and ponder details. Get the big picture like those who first read the 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 letter. Uh, then start the careful sentence-by-sentence -sentence study of this profound epistle with the study guide. The chart on the following page will introduce you to the history and challenges surrounding this great epistle. Carefully study the historical events and reflect on their importance for Paul and the first believers in Rome. So that's what I would like y'all to do between now and next week. I would like for y'all to take some time and sit down and read Romans all the way through, nonstop. Don't, you know, if something strikes you, you say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe make a little note, but just keep reading. Just keep pushing through. Um, get an overview of it. And I think that would be very helpful for everybody if we just, you know, we, we do tend to sit and ponder a passage or a verse, things like that. If you read the entire thing, you will get a really good idea and you'll get like an overview of what's really going on. And when you do that, like it says, it'll take about one to one and a half hours, depending on how fast you read. But if you just, you know, if you kind of keep pushing through, I don't think it would take you much longer than that to do. When you do it though, uh, keep the next couple pages on hand, like have, have your, have your binder open and off to the side just to kind of see, um, you know, the, you can kind of look at the historic events on the next page there, page six and page seven. You'll see the historic events, kind of the surrounding history of Paul writing uh, Romans. And then on the next page, page seven, you get kind of the outline of Romans so that when you begin and you get through chapter, you know, you begin, you can kind of read what chapters one through four is all about. And then as you read, you can kind of see that come to life. And then the same thing with 5 through 8, 9 through 11, and 12 through 16, right? Um, so we see the outlines there. Um, use those things um, when you do your homework, you know, and no, there's not going to be a quiz, but you're going to get a lot out of, you're going to get more out of the study if you do read the entirety of the book before you really dive deep into what's what's going on here, okay? Um, any 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 questions so far?
Was that his intent for it to be read that way? So when you, yes. So the the reason, this is, this is kind of a neat little thing that I, that, that I think more people are finding out or being taught is that the books in the, the, that we have in the New Testament, they, and I'm not going to go into the, all, all the history because that would be a whole study in itself. You know, um, Paul's epistles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, these are to different churches. And they were to be read before everybody. This isn't something like, you know, if they send, if, if the Missouri Synod sent us a letter, usually it's just read amongst the council, <laughs> first off, unless we want it to be read amongst the entire congregation of voters assembly or whatever. That's possible. These letters were written by Paul to be read all the way through for everybody. Um, and the Gospels actually also were written and sent out to different places to teach the people the faith, which they would break up bit by bit. They didn't have chapters and verses back then, right? They just, they just kind of had the broad writing. It was all on scrolls and all that stuff. But yeah, that's, that's, that's really what Paul intended uh, for these letters. Um, he intended for these letters to be read so everybody could hear them all at once. Um, whether that was in the assembly or what, I don't, yeah, I'm not really quite sure. Yeah, it, it was probably during a church service that would take place during the sermon. So it would be as if Paul was preaching, but from a distance, right? So yeah, that's, that's, that's typically what these uh, correspondences were. Um, any other questions? It's a good question. Um, oh, I have a question. Yeah, sure. It said over here. Um, it says when the leaders of the house cha churches in Rome broke the clay seal mm -hmm. and unwrapped Paul's epistle. Yeah. Where was it sealed up and wrapped? Where was so, it wrapped and sealed up at? So, uh, you know, when you have a, a scroll, um, when you have a scroll, you know, it's it's like this, right? And you get the little mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know, whatever. You know, yeah. So here's your scroll, mm -hmm. right? And then it had to travel from Paul to the Roman church. So to keep it from coming unraveled and everything it's like that, it would have a, a clay seal here gotcha. with some sort of markings on it to show that it was from Paul. And so that's, that's why, you know, you have the broken seal. Um, and that's also why you get the broken seals in the book of Revelation as well. There's the, the scroll, but then there's like seven seals on it and each one's broken in succession. And it was just part of, it was part of correspondence. It was basically, you know, people would have a signet ring or something like that. So it's like a sealed letter. It's a sealed letter. Like they used to do with wax. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was with wax or clay. I, Signet rings became a real big thing, like in the medieval times, uh, and also in antiquity. But that was only if you were really rich. But this this would be something where it was sealed, and you and they knew who was carrying the letter. You know, Paul would send it with a trusted person to make sure that it would get there. They didn't have USPS, you know, they didn't have UPS or FedEx. So, you know, they had a trusted source carry the correspondence. And so they said, I got this from Paul himself, and here it is, you know. Um, good question. Good question. The clay seal. Um, okay. 
How about let's go ahead and dive in to study one, uh, the purpose of Romans, okay? Uh, who would like to read? Give me a little break on reading here. I'll start. Yeah, go ahead. In AD 50, the Roman Emperor Claudius issued an edict that deeply affected the new Christians in Rome. The historian Suetonius explains that a certain Christus. Christus yeah. had stirred up the Jews in the city. As a result, Emperor Claudius banished all Jews from Rome. Since most early Christians were Jewish or converts, converts to Judaism, Claudius's edict would have greatly disturbed the life of these first congregations. Just four years later, Claudius died. Many Jews, including Jewish Christians, returned to the city. This must have caused turmoil in Rome's congregations when Claudius forced the new Jew Jewish Christians out of Rome. Gentile believers would assemble leadership. A few years later, former congressional leaders would have returned. Although Jewish and Gentile believers probably greeted one another warmly, these changes in leadership probably caused tensions. Right. Okay, so now you have a little bit of a history, right? Um, you have some history about what was going on in Rome. Um, so with that history that the Jews, uh, the Jewish, the ethnically Jewish Christians uh, were removed and then, you know, the power, you know, the, the church was still there. Someone had to lead and so the Gentiles stood up, right? So what does Paul do? And that's the first question. How do Paul's, um, how do Paul's, um, um, how do the opening words in the epistle seek to ease uh, tension or whatever tension would be there between the Jewish and Gentile believers? And those, those first words are, you know, verses 1 through 7 in chapter 1. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the... among all the... excuse me... among all the... Nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, those opening words, how might those ease whatever tension might be there between the Jewish and Gentile believers? Oh, I see it just as a uh, encouragement to become Christians. Yeah. Okay. So, um, do you think there probably was some division amongst the folks there? Probably. I would think so. Yeah. Go ahead. Were you going to say something else? Well, I was going to say he's yeah. not like uh, putting the Gentiles here. Right. He's uh, not really making. He's not putting one above the other. Right. So so what sort of things is he saying that might ease the tension? 
for, specifically for the Jews, what is he saying that might ease their tension a little bit? To me, it says to all in Rome who are loved by God. Sure. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't exclude anybody. Right. But what, what might the Jews, the, the ethnically Jewish Christians, really appreciate from what he says here? What does he say about Jesus and who he's descended from? From the descendant of David. Yeah. The descendant of David, according to the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. He's an Israelite. You know, so they, they have that ethnic connection. But also, what, what side is he also saying for the Gentiles now? Um, and, it's, and it's a little tricky. And then I guess it depends on your translation. But what does he say in... Um, what does he say in verse 5? Towards the end. Verse 5. So it goes, Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. Okay. So, and you have the New International Yeah, I was going to say, I have yeah. the, the New International Same version. thing. Um, uh, yeah, ethnos and, I mean, and the Greek. It means nations, nations and Gentiles synonymous. It's the same thing. Those who are not Jewish, basically. Yeah, That's really all it is, the non-Jews. That's it. That's it, yeah, all the nations. Yeah, so, among all the nations, all the Gentiles, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And to all those in Rome, like you said, to all those in Rome uh, who are loved by God and called to be saints, right? And does he say, you know, uh, <laughs> does he say, you know, uh, hey, you know, hey, y'all, all... All my Jewish brothers, sorry y'all got kicked out. You know what? As an apostle, I'm going to go ahead and say, you go ahead and assume the roles you had before and kick those Gentiles out because they should be under you. No, he doesn't say that at all, right? He says, he says to all of you, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He greets all the saints in Rome with grace and peace. So... He's trying to uh, establish unity and peace, right? Uh, so with that, uh, how number two, how might this effort by Paul influence your efforts for peaceful work in your congregation? It should include everybody. Nobody's left out. Yeah, right. I mean, well, I mean like, if you have a men's group... Make sure it's all guys. Ladies group, all ladies get together. You don't, you don't, you don't want men hanging around, right? It's one of those things. But it's like, yeah, keep it open for everybody. Don't, don't be exclusionary just just for the sake of it, right? That's, that's that's a good thing, yeah. Or make sure at least the invitation is extended and give someone the right to refuse, right? That sort of stuff. Yeah, I sure. Guess we'll kind of have our biases when people from backgrounds that we're not really used to. Yeah. Yeah. Backgrounds such as... Uh, it, it could be anything. Anything, yeah. Sometimes somebody walks into church and you're like, man, why are they here? Yeah. If they walk in on Sunday and they've got a blacked out with black hair and piercings all over everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh-huh. a lot of people probably stop and look. And <laughs> I mean, and, and, and we would hopefully, I'm sure that after thinking about it, we'd probably say, I'm glad they're here. Yeah. But your knee jerk might be like, yeah, who are they? Saying. You know, who is that person <laughs> coming through these doors? I've never seen them before, right? Um, yeah, sure, of course. Um, 
so yeah, definitely. Th th those are just basic things, right? Um, but there's also, uh, I think somebody mentioned this morning, you know, it's a matter of focus. Everybody's got their focus on what they want mm -hmm. to see take place in, in church and, and things like that. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own focus that we have blinders on and uh, it, it, it winds up causing some problems. And I, I use the example, I, I didn't experience it myself, but when I was on Vicarage, I heard the story. Um, my, my supervisor uh, on Vicarage, his predecessor was at that congregation for 30 years. The only church he ever served at. Ever. He's straight out of the seminary, there for like 30-something years. And being at a church for 30 years, you're not going to be without some hardships in a congregation, right? People are going to fight. They're going to, you know, tensions are going to rise for something, and conflict is going to happen. Um, and their conflict, their big conflict they kept talking about, I'm sure there were little ones, that was, was based on what they would do in building another building. Because that church, the original structure, has been standing since like 1850, and they've just kind of expanded around it, and they mm -hmm. and they they even dug under the church to create a basement, you know, that sort of stuff. It started out as a dirt floor, and they had a furnace in the center of the congregation, and they all stood for the service, right back in 1850 something, right? And but they just expanded, and the the fight was over where they were going to build their fellowship hall. They were not, are, 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 they were not, they're not arguing about whether they should build a fellowship hall or not. It was where. And it was really interesting, the fight that happened, because they were at the top of a hill. They're in a little town in Ohio called Valley City. They're at the top of the hill and the valley's down there. You know, the town's down there. They're up here. And the question was, where are we going to build the fellowship hall? Because the church was at the edge of the hill. It was a steep hill down to the road. And the question was, some people wanted to build, so I'll do it from this angle. So the hill's down here, right? Some people wanted to build a fellowship hall over here on the hill. Some people wanted to build it over the hill. Why? I don't know. Um, I'd be a part of the proponent saying, let's do it on solid ground. Uh, <laughs> But they probably had their reasons. They couldn't go the other direction. Uh, so if the hill's here, they couldn't go on this side because they had a cemetery. And on this side was the road and there wasn't enough room. There's only two places. Oh, it was perfect conditions for a fight. And so what happened was it got so contentious. The pastor was, he was facilitating and then he would, he would sit back and just kind of let the committees do their thing. But there was, it got so contentious that he basically just said, um, all right, as, as your pastor, I'm making the executive decision, we're not gonna build a fellowship hall. We're not gonna do it. If it's gonna cause this much division, we're not gonna do it. And they tabled it for like, I wanna say almost 10 years until tensions went down they, you know, worked on their relationships. They were unified around what was really important. I mean, if, if he hadn't stepped in and kind of made that decision to say, we're just not going to do anything right now, um, I think that church would have split. 
Over what? Yeah. <laughs> where, where to build a building, right? And so he kind of helped them reorient about, you know, around what was really important. And so that's a pretty common thing, I would imagine. That's, that's I mean, um, in, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm reading this one book called Built on the Rock uh, by this one guy who's specifically, his job is a, a consultant in reconciliation for congregations. Like he goes into congregations that are going through turmoil and helps them reconcile. He's, he's like a mediator, yeah, and he's a layman. And, but he says, you know, the one thing that I can tell that really makes a, a healthy congregation is a congregation that knows their Bible. He's been in situations where he's met with the executive council and him, him and his team, and, and they say, okay, here's some Bibles on the table. I want you to open to like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And a lot of them, like they can tell right away. He's like, it's a good litmus test to see how healthy a congregation is because if the leadership can't open their Bibles and find out and, and, exact, and kind of know roughly where it is, they know they have some problems on their hands, right? Um, and he said he's seen like presidents of congregations like slam a Bible closed and throw it on the table because he's just so frustrated. He can't find the passage they're asking him to find. So that gives me an instance of saying, you know, we really need to stay in our Bibles because conflict is going to come, but do you think it's easier to resolve conflict when we have a pretty good idea about what God's Word says about forgiveness and reconciliation and peace and unity around what's really important? That makes a difference, and that's what Paul's doing here, right? These people are hopefully well-taught, well, well catechized, and he simply is just saying what they believe, right? He's saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, right? They probably knew that. Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, that's that's a statement right of faith. Yeah. Solidified. That's stuff they would have learned and known pretty well. That's the basics, right? And he's just recalling it. That's really what he's doing. He's recalling it to remind them who they are in Christ. Right? And so he's using that as the basis for unity, not not who their daddy is. Who they're descended from, whatever. He's saying you're all united in Christ, and this is why, right? So um, that's that's a good example for us to follow. I mean, it is the Word of God. It's relevant for all things, right? And it's relevant for this as well. So um, any questions on that? Any thoughts before we move on? You mean to slow down a little bit? <laughs> Sometimes I get going. So just let me know if I gotta slow down, okay? Or if I need to explain something a little bit further. I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Well, I've been yeah. here long enough, the Wenzels have also, you know, we've gone through a lot of conflicts. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some more. Yeah, I'm, it happens. We're sinners, you know. Um, 
but we're in a ministry of reconciliation. That's what that's 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 what Paul says. Well, well, I think it's Paul. It's Paul. That's 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 an indicator to me that I need to know my scriptures a little bit better too. But we are in a ministry of reconciliation. I'm pretty positive, it's Paul. Um, that you know we need to be able to humble ourselves when we need to call each other to repentance where we need to. I mean, not being petty, but being honest and speaking the truth in love, right? Um, it's going to be hard. It's never easy. Conflict is never easy. But by the power of, of God, you know, through his word and the spirit of peace, you're able to weather the storm. You're able to make it through, right? And yeah, that's what we should do. We're Christians, right? Okay. Uh, Paul and the Romans. Let's keep going here. Who would like to read that next part? I'll go next. In AD 56-58, before heading to Jerusalem with a special offering for the impoverished Christians in Judea, Paul wrote his letter to the house congregations in Rome. Gaius mentioned in 1623 as a host for a house congregation. Paul wrote from Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey. Since Paul had never visited the congregations of Rome, most interpreters regard Romans as Paul's most objective letter, even as a textbook of Christian doctrine. In other words, Paul addressed the Romans as an outsider, someone who caught, someone not cut up in the particular issues of their congregations, unlike his role in one and two, first and second Corinthians. Although Romans has a more objective tone, several passages show that Paul was aware of what was happening in Rome. Yeah. Okay. So um, by being objective, he's like that outside reconciliation consultant, right? Coming in and saying, I kind of know what's happening, but let's just, you know, I can, as an outsider, I can kind of see this is what you need to know, right? Uh, that, that next question, number three, quickly scan chapter 16. So keep a marker on Romans 1, but go to chapter Romans chapter 16 and just kind of scan it uh, and tell me what you see. Um, and, you know, how does this portion of the letter demonstrate Paul's insight into the congregational life of the Romans? So what is he mainly saying in chapter 16? Is he talking about deep things like baptism or communion? He's talking or... about all the people that are doing something. Yeah, he's saying, hey, uh, say hi to so-and-so for me. <laughs> you know? Take care of them. Yeah, say, yeah. yeah, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at uh, Centrea. Um, and, you know, it's like, say, uh, greet Prisca and Aquila. Um, yeah, greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus. Um, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia, you know, greet, say hi to Mary, say hi to Urbanus, uh, say hi to Apelles, you know, um, say hi to those who are in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus, right? I'm just kind of skipping around here and there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, he's just saying, hey, tell these folks I said hi. Um, who are these people? Who do you think that was like? He's never been there. Who are all these people? That he he, he probably knows them from other things, but that would be like you know, uh, that would be like someone from Houston saying, "Hey, um, 
tell the Wenzel family I said hi because I remember I I remember talking to them when when we were you know out in Menard or something like that right it's like you know it's like uh, I I I remember having a good conversation with James Hyman telling him I said hi right it's 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 kind of like that right um, he he's never been to this church but he knows these people uh, from somewhere along the way well and later in the chapter he sends greetings from Timothy and Lucius and mm-hmm. Jason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he's probably heard first, first-hand reports of these folks. Right, yeah. he's He's got his connections. And um, so... He's a fellow worker, so yeah. probably people in the church. Yeah, so. people in the church who um, either had... Well, he's, he's also trying to gather funds, right? He's fundraising mm-hmm. in a certain way uh, for missionary journeys... And take care of uh, the poor Christians in Jerusalem and whatnot. And so he is um, thanking them and saying hello to them. And, and, you know, I'm sure he met someone at one point in time. But Rome is a big hub that they probably moved to Rome for a certain reason. And he knows that they're there. Right. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons that he could have connections to them. Um, But he has insight into the congregational life. Because I'm sure that they also, if they know him, they probably write him letters and let him know how things are going too, right? Well, that's where Peter went too, right? Was to Rome? Um, that's according to, yeah, tradition that he wound up dying in Rome. Okay. You know, of course, the Roman Catholics believe that he was the first pope and everything. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that um, we don't necessarily disagree on we just disagree on what that means uh to be the pope so we you know peter peter was a church leader and he did i think wind up in rome for sure there's a question and 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 paul wound up in rome too right he was under house arrest at the end of acts Mm -hmm. so so you see that he eventually made it there and and and, um you see that happening but uh so he would basically know what was going on as an outsider he heard correspondence uh, and from enough people to where I think he got a pretty good idea about what was going on, right? So, um, but in being objective, he's laying out, like it says before, you know, he it's basically like a textbook of Christian teaching that a lot of what you need to know to be a Christian is really in Romans. Uh, Romans is one of those books where actually one of my professors would harp on us because he'd say, like, you know, you like Paul, but you don't like to read Jesus. Because Jesus is harder to understand than Paul. Paul lays it out there. Paul is very clear. Jesus is a little more cryptic, right? You need, you need a little help with what Jesus is trying to say with parables and whatnot, right? Um, so when you read Paul, it's a good entry point uh, to what Christians believe. So that's why he says, you know, the, on the next portion... The many questions in Romans highlighted the doctrinal and practical challenges that the church faced. Um, And you even see there at the end, like in Romans 16, where he says, uh, beware um, those who cause divisions according to what you've been taught, right? I, chapter 16, verse 17, right? I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine, the teaching, that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the, the hearts of the naive. 
right? So it's basically also, he knows that, like Luther said, wherever God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel across the street, right, kind of thing. Where, where the church of God is, the devil's not far behind trying to cause division and strife and all this stuff. So he is dealing with practical and doctrinal challenges. Uh, and he says, uh, and these questions, questions were the foundation of Paul's teaching method in Romans. He asked tough questions and then provided clear answers. Right? This was a, a classic teaching tool. Uh, what, what is probably better understood as something like the Socratic method in some ways He's really good rhetorically here. He's a good communicator. He's asking questions, and then he's giving you the answers, right? Um, so that you can ask, and then, and then he can help you with the answer clearly. Um, Paul, well, I, and you know, I don't, I don't know if he's actually being Socratic here, but that's kind of what was a classical way of teaching, is you ask a question, and then you just keep asking questions and questions and questions, and you help the student kind of, answer things for themselves. It's hard to do in a letter, so he's got to give some actual answers. So that's, that's really what he's doing here. But he's doing it in such a way that's very rhetorically skillful. Very skillful. Uh, Paul knew that his message about God's grace for the Gentiles had received harsh questioning in various places. Therefore, Paul used this letter to carefully and clearly proclaim his... his... His message, while he also corrected common falsehoods. And if you want to keep a finger here in your binder and thumb to page 35, you kind of see what that is. That's, that's that. Uh, there's a chart there um, listing out different controversies and how these controversies. Um, are, are either stemming from a misunderstanding of Romans uh, or something else, but also being uh, answered by Romans and, and, and other passages as well uh, to the true understanding. So like universalism, individual justification alone, antinomianism, which means antinomian, antinomianism means against the law. Like people who say, oh, we don't have to worry about the law anymore, right? Law-based sanctification, devil predestination, dispensationalism, which is still a really big problem, um, law motivation, uh, open fellowship, ordination of women, right? Uh, so I, I'm not going to go through all those right now, but just have that as a reference. You can kind of see if you want to on your own. We'll get to that point at some point. I think it's what, study eight. So we'll get there, but just so you have it on hand. Um Next, so any any questions so far? Any comments before we move on? We don't have we don't have a lot to go through, so we have time to talk if you'd like. No, everybody good? Okay. Paul's mission. Who wants to read that next part for us? The motive for Paul's letter came from his plan to visit Rome and use the city as a center for his mission efforts to the west and north, which is much, which as he used Antioch for his mission to Asia Minor and Macedonia. 
Paul desired to be sent forth for the journey to Spain. This may have been a technical term for missionary support through funds, supplies, and manpower. Okay. So reflect on the relationship between Paul's teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his teaching about mission in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 and verse 16. Um, how do these opening verses connect the, these two aspects of Christian life? So the gospel of Jesus Christ and mission. How are these connected? in that first chapter, in the, the opening verses of chapter 1. How long do you think of the Great Commission? Okay, yeah, what is, what is the Great Commission again? Go out and teach, baptize. Right. Go there forth and make. Go there forth and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Bring everybody together. Yeah. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight, the very the very last part of uh, the book. Right. So that, you know, that's, that's known as the Great Commission. Um, some have even seen that as Christ ordaining the apostles to go and do these things. Depends on how you want to see it. But not that either one is wrong, but they could, they're, they're both definitely right. So you see this, that the gospel is for who? Everybody. 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 Yeah. It's for everybody. Um, Paul roots his call and mission effort in the gospel of God. Um, his greeting proclaims distinctive doctrinal truths that we talked about before. You know, this is something that everybody should know of who Jesus is, that he was proclaimed, he was promised to the prophets, right, that the Messiah would come and that he is descended from David according to the flesh declared to be the Son of God, so on and so forth, right? Um, that these doctrinal truths are rooted in the wonderful nature of the gospel. And the gospel means what? What, is, what does the word gospel mean? Good, good news. Good news. What, what makes it good news? That Jesus, that Jesus paid your debt of sin. He died for your sin. He rose from the dead to proclaim that sin, is, sin, death, and the devil have been defeated. Right? So, uh, and Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile, depending on your translation. Right? So um, he describes his mission as calling people to the obedience that consists of faith by means of the gospel. So um, I guess, uh, what was it? I, I, I think I mentioned something this morning about how um, we should 
we should read what Paul has to say here and take it more to heart for ourselves. I know that I struggle with this, that when it comes to um, having an opportunity to talk about Jesus with people, it's kind of scary, right? Uh, you don't, unless you know who you're talking to, right? It makes it a little bit easier knowing who you're talking to. But I think sometimes we also, I especially, get to this point where whenever you find out someone goes to church somewhere, you know, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, whatever, you find out they go to church somewhere and all of a sudden there's a temptation to kind of clam up. It's like, oh, well, they're already a Christian, so we don't have to talk about Jesus anymore. <laughs> have you all ever felt that? You don't have to answer if you don't want to. I'm the opposite because I want to talk about the differences. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That's great. And, and in a way that's friendly and, and yeah, yeah. not... This is how we believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. This is the way we believe. Why do you believe that way? <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's kind of like what uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller in the book we just went through with um, Has American Christianity Failed? He's like, he talks to this one Baptist lady and she's like, so what do you, what do you Lutherans believe? And he goes, well, what denomination are you? And she's like, well, I'm Baptist. And he goes, oh, okay. So uh, do you ever have a, a time where the pastor calls you forward for an altar call and you and you give your life over to Jesus? And and she's like, yeah, yeah. And he said, see, we're different in that we don't have to do that. Jesus gave his life for us. And she started crying because she said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life, right? Um, and, and, and so it gives you an opportunity. It's a scary thing to engage in those conversations sometimes because, um, you know, maybe somebody doesn't believe exactly like you do, but you can still say, hey, oh, great, you go to First Baptist or Second Baptist or, you know, United Methodist or whatever, and you say, isn't it great that Jesus has died for our sins and that we don't have to worry about sin and hell and, and, and damnation? It's awesome, isn't it? Now, who talks like that? <laughs> Well, the answer is Christians, right? We should talk more like that. I think we should. Um, it's one of those things. It's like you have so many opportunities, and I know I do too. I don't always take them, and for that I need to repent. Uh, but by God's grace, we're, we're given the opportunities to just say little bitty things, right? God bless you. Or, or you know, um, hey, isn't it great? Hey, being, being a Christian, aren't you really glad you don't have to worry about hell anymore? I think that's something that we should talk about, you know, or just encourage people to be glad about, right? And um, things like that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Sounds pretty good, right? Uh, something to try uh, when you go talk to people. It helps if you know the person. I'm not saying you should go to the gas station and start talking about Jesus with that person there. Uh, unless you really want to. Hey, that's totally fine. Uh, but just for some people, not everybody's ready to do that. Um, but I will say that, um, well, we'll get to it in number six here. But one thing I do want to touch on are the three terms that Paul uses to describe his commitment to mission work in verses 1 through 7, chapter 1. What are those three terms? What does he describe about himself in his commitment. Mm, I came up with servant, mm -hmm. verse one, apostle, apostle, verse five, and to all, verse seven. Yeah, I, I'd say those, well, um, the apostleship and to all kind of go hand in hand together. Uh, 
But what about, uh, really, they're, they're all right there in that first verse. So you got servant, you got apostle, and what else? Gospel. Called. Um, well, he's called to be an apostle, but what's right after that? Holy. He's set apart. Yeah, he's, holy. he's made holy for his, for his work. Um, does anybody have a note on that word servant in verse 1? That what else what else it could mean? Not this Bible. A slave. A slave. That's right. Yeah. Huh. A slave. Uh, in fact, I prefer that reading. Uh, the Greek translation. Yeah, doulos. Um, it, it, you know, Paulos doulos Christu Jesu. Yeah, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I think it's shied away from in our context because of America's history of slavery. And I got into it with a friend of mine at the seminary. We didn't get into it, but he was just like, I don't think we should necessarily use the language of slavery. And I was like, it's biblical, bro. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. It's biblical. Um, and it's so funny. My Greek professor at the seminary wrote one of the Concordia commentaries on Philemon. Philemon is a very short book right um his commentary was like 500 pages (laughs) but 300 of those pages are like 400 like the vast majority of his commentary was the introduction uh explaining the nature of slavery in the ancient world because nobody really understands it uh as it as it was that um you know slaves were very commonplace in fact the Bible, and this is probably very controversial nowadays, the Bible never expressly condemns slavery. It never expressly condemns slavery. Paul himself even says in Ephesians, in fact, we have it in our uh, small catechism in the Table of Duties. And, and it, it's funny because in our small catechism, it's like uh, employers, employees. He puts it in the realm of slaves and slave owners. You know? I mean, but... But it's it's one of these things of, um, you know, there are different kinds of slaves. Some were more house servants, indentured servitude, which is really another word for slavery. You're indebted in some way and you pay it off by working, right? Something along those lines. Paul, I think, meant he this word was used very deliberately to say uh, he is a slave of Jesus Christ, that he doesn't do anything uh, outside of what Christ commands, or at least he tries not to, right? Um, and by God's grace, he does the work of God. Um, and, and it's one of those things of that when you put it in the realm of slavery, it really drives the point home of who you really belong to. That our freedom, our sinful understanding of freedom is taken out of the picture completely. That we are not free to disobey our master, right? But we also don't have a harsh master. We have one who, is, who loves us, who died for us, right? Uh, and who treats us as his own family, right? That uh, Jesus even says, you know, that, uh, that um, the slave does what the master commands, but the children, you know... Um, the children are set free from these things, and if and if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, right? Um, and he also says, I do not call you 
uh, oh, what is he? Um, he he says, "I do not call you um, somebody. To help me out here. You know, I do not. I do not call you." But I call you brothers. He said, "I call you friends, yeah. right?" Um, oh, I'm having a. Uh, I'm losing it. Senior moments. I'm losing it. Well, <laughs> with how much sleep I haven't gotten recently, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, no. But he says, "I do not. I do not call you. I, I want to say servants." Or I, he says, "I call you friends." Right. So we have a master who is not harsh. Uh, um, who is just, right? He punishes and chastises and disciplines rightfully, not flippantly, not arbitrarily, but he does what's always best for us, right? And when you see it in that realm, I, I wonder what would happen if you, instead of, you know, a, a lot of people will say, there, there was like a big thing about how People didn't want to be called Christians anymore. They want to be called uh, Christ followers, right? Or, some, or something along that, right? Something along that line. Why don't we just say, hey, I'm a slave of Jesus. That's what that means. Yeah, that's, that's, what, <laughs> that's what a Christian is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Christian is actually biblical, too. It's, it's, it's from Acts, right? Um, so, but I wonder what people would say. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's not how we're used to talking, though, right? It's very strange. Uh, it's very challenging to us to think that way. But how much does that mean when you say that and when you hold that to your heart and you say, oh, yeah, I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to God. and I belong to Christ, right? Uh, and I know he's going to tell me to do the right things. I don't have to worry about him telling me to do something that's bad. <laughs> it's, it's really great. All right, so this is one of something I really wanted y'all, really wanted to capitalize on because it's a great thing, uh, and um, I'm sure we're going to touch on it later as well. But I just wanted to throw that out there for sure right now. So uh, reflect on Paul's mission appeal to the Romans. How has God called you to support His mission? What do you think? Well, it's like in here, he says, be nice to these people. Be nice to be, I mean, you know, work together, um, have respect for other people. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, well, especially those who are in the faith. And right? try to include everybody. Right. You try to bring everybody into the, right. to the, to the house of the Lord. Right. There's, there's, there's always going to be divisions, mm -hmm. but some people will separate themselves out because of how they behave or what they believe or what they preach, right? Um, and in some sense, you have to keep the congregation safe from people like that. But everybody who faithfully comes and hears and confesses, yeah, they're your brothers and sisters, right? Uh, that we do not show partiality in these things. Um, uh, any other... So... so how, how, how has God called you to support his mission? I mean, there's lots of different ways, but what do you think specifically? Well, I guess to be an evangelist. 
<laughs> Which I'm not very good at that. Well, that's not my. I was going to say I did that this weekend. <laughs> we were talking about a friend of mine, and we were talking about communion because she was raised Methodist, and we were talking about she's. She told me one time she was going to different churches, and she'd gone to the Lutheran church, and you know they asked her to refrain from. You know, she's like, well, why can't we all go take communion? And I said, well. It says in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't push it, we didn't argue, you know, yeah. we just said this is what we believe. And sure. So well, that's what the Bible says. So yeah. <laughs> helps to know where the Bible says these things. But yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Um, in fact we 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 visited Memorial in Houston and I actually really liked their communion statement. Not to get off topic, but I thought it was really good. It says, um, I'm receiving the Lord's Supper. Our congregation is a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, a family of congregations that pledge themselves to believe, teach, and confess the same faith. We believe that we are given a great responsibility to commune, uh, to commune only those persons who are members of our confessional fellowship. We practice closed communion to exhibit unity in faith, Acts 2.42, to guard the uninstructed against a reception of the sacrament that will be harmful to them, 1 Corinthians 11, 27-29, and to keep the pastors, and I thought this was really good, I was like, I think I'm going to steal this, maybe, um, and to keep the pastors from having to make divine decisions by determining who is a believer and who is not, and then they cite 2 Timothy 2, 19. Um, Therefore, we ask that only LCMS members or members of churches in fellowship with us commune at the altar of this church. We want to express our sincere welcome to our guests and assure them that we practice closed communion for their spiritual welfare. Guests desiring to learn more about our beliefs are asked to speak with one of our pastors. I thought that was really good. It's like, we're actually doing this for your good, right? We don't want you to get, we don't want you to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Um, so yeah. The word closed, don't we uh, say close? No. Well, at one point in time we did, but that's that was common English. It was synonymous with closed. We have a document about that. I think President Al Berry wrote, you know, what about closed communion? And he kind of addressed that a little bit. Um, yeah, we say close, but it means the same thing. Uh, historically in English, it, it means the same thing. It's been used recently to kind of close enough. say close enough. Yeah. Um, so... So we say, but but historically, it always has meant the same thing. Close, closed. Um, English and language is a funny thing like that. It changes in certain ways like that. But back to mission. <laughs> back to mission. Uh, how has God called you to support his mission? And that's, that's great. You talked to a friend of yours, right? And, and you had a conversation. Great. Fantastic. Any other Any other ideas there? If not, that's okay. Something to think about. Yeah, Sean, you're gonna say something. Like yeah, that. I was gonna say he's definitely called me here, and I had a, a a buddy the other day that was pretty angry just about his whole life. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity there to not be ashamed of being a Christian, and even though I knew him, it was a little difficult to say it, but it kind of I mean, it gave me peace to say it. If that means, you know, uh, so I'm feeling cold more, more and more. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, you know, I, 
I don't necessarily think we need to come up with these grand mission schemes of things. Um, if, 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 you, if you've got something that we can be a part of as a congregation, I'm all ears. I think it's great. And we should support missionaries in foreign lands and even missionaries and mission work in cities and whatnot. Um, but I think we would be benefited by seeing mission as something that's actually much more close to home than we realize. Um, that, uh, and I'm going to go back to the small catechism because uh, you know it's foundational for us, right? That um, we are given positions in life according to our vocations to um, show the love of God to our neighbor that's right in front of us. You know, so if 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 you're a husband or a wife, you know, then you have an opportunity with your spouse to show the love of God, right? Uh, if you have children, you know, if you're a parent, if you're a child, if you're an employer or if you're an employee, I mean, you have these opportunities with the people that, are, that you're around to share the love of God, to speak the word of God, and to maybe make some change in somebody's life not because, and I want to stress this, you're not going to make a change in somebody's life necessarily because of how well you put the argument, right? You're not going to necessarily change somebody's heart. And, and, that's, and we talk about that all the time. I think we get caught up in saying, I'm not well equipped to convert somebody, right? People say that all the time. I'm not going to go out and convert people. You're right. You're not. The Holy Spirit will. But the Holy Spirit works in a certain way, right? And how does the Holy Spirit work? How does he work? Yeah, specifically through what? We put their bug in their ear. Yeah, give it, but tell me how he works. What? Through the Word. word. That's right. Through the Word of God. The Word of God is enough. It is enough. And uh, I think Satan and our flesh, our sinful flesh, doesn't want to believe that. We want to think that it's all up to us. And so we think, I'm just not ready to have my, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have it formulated perfectly in my head, so I'm just not going to say it, right? As opposed to just saying, hey, if all you know by heart is John 3.16, then say a variation of John 3.16. It's the Word of God. It does the work, right? The Holy Spirit works, and Paul says that in Romans, right? How are they supposed to know unless somebody tells them, Right? Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm challenging y'all a little bit, but I think that's a good thing. We we need to be encouraged more and more to realize that, hey, it's, it's not as complicated as we might like to think or as we're tempted to think, I'll say. Um, it's not that complicated because God very simply calls all people to believe in what Christ has done. And that's the simple message of the gospel, right? That we're all sinful, yet Christ has died for us, right? And you can be as elaborate or as simple as you want to be uh, in how you say that, but it's the word of God that does the work. And you can do mission work in your own, amongst your own friends, right? Um, especially if somebody's having a hard day, you can simply say, you know, I pray that the peace of God will be with you, right? 
You don't have to go into this whole thing of saying, you know, I pray that the peace of the Holy Spirit will be given to you by the power of Christ and his blood shed on the cross for you. And That's great. Yeah, go for it. If you really want to go there, that's fine. But it can be very simple, right? It's nothing that you have to really agonize over. And the more you're in the word, the more you're able to have it come forth. The, the, the more the spirit is going to work and have it come forth when it needs to, right? But that's also to say that, you know, we who are baptized according to the word and the water, you know, um, the sacrament of baptism, in baptism, Christ calls each of us to proclaim his gospel and confess his name before the world in word and in deed, right? So I'm not discounting picking up someone who needs a ride to church. That's also a good thing as well. You're delivering them to where they're going to get the goods, the word and sacrament. Um, or, or you are bringing them something to eat when they're sick, or you're going, or you're giving them a phone call when they're down or a tragedy has hit them and you say, I am praying for you. How can I pray for you more? Or can I pray with you now? Right? That's, that's a great opportunity as well. And that's something we can do locally, uh, in our own families, amongst our own friends, and also, Above and beyond, we can support people who go to far-off lands and spread the gospel there too, right? Um, but it doesn't always have to be stuff far away. There's people right in your own life, right right, right in front of you that, that really needs to hear the word of God for their own comfort and for their own salvation, right? Thoughts on that? I'll take a breath. <laughs> If not, I'll just keep on going, and we'll and we'll get done here pretty quick here. Um, is that all right? All right. So this has all been uh, an overview, you know, just kind of getting into Romans a little bit here. So as you study Romans, view this epistle as a defense of a fundamental teaching of the Christian faith that was vital to Paul's mission. God declares all sinners righteous in Christ. Paul saw that a solid understanding of Christian teaching in Rome was important because the city would serve as the link back to the east and forward to the west. Uh, to fulfill God's mission, your congregation needs an equally solid theological foundation. Martin Luther wrote, the epistle to the Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can, we can, we can never read it or ponder it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Right? So, um, as you have begun the study of Romans, how has the bread of the gospel satisfied the hunger of your soul? What do y'all think? I just think that coming to a Bible study is 
way to get a meal every you know, so to speak, a meal every <laughs> once in a while. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like yeah. your car. You have to put gas in your car to keep it going. Yeah. So we come here and get the word so we can keep going. That's right. But we want to be biblically literate. Yeah. So we can give an answer when people yeah. are maybe asking those questions or in that position. Right. You know, it's like Jesus said, you know, do not do not worry about what you will say. You know, he's saying to his 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 uh his disciples that you'll be brought before princes and kings and be told to give an account. Don't worry about what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say in that moment. That's not to say though that it's just gonna miraculously happen, right? The more you're in the word, the more you're able to say, uh, you know, someone who says what you know, what do you believe? You can say, well, I believe that, you know, God is, uh, I believe, basically, if you want to paraphrase the Apostles' Creed, that's what I was going to say, just recite yeah. one of the creeds. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And, but if you want to elaborate on it and tell exactly what Jesus has done, you know, and say how the Holy Spirit has enlightened you and, and delivered the faith to you and all these things, I mean, there's many ways you can do it, but it's, it's going to be best by being in the Word. The more you're in God's word, the more you'll be able to make those confessions. And what does Jesus say about, about bread uh, when it comes to how man shall live? Not by bread, but not by bread alone. Not by bread alone. By the word of God. By every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Uh, and he says that to who? Satan. <laughs> Satan, that's right. Because Satan yeah. tempts him with bread, right? And he says, man does not live by, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, of the mouth of God, right? So it is our daily bread. Um, and has, I guess, how has this satisfied the hunger of your soul so far? Any other thoughts on that? How has it done it? I guess in this class so far. I don't know. I'm encouraged to see that so many are here. Yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. We had, I think, two, four, six. We had maybe, I mean, maybe like four more this morning than what we have now. So I mean, it's really good. It's a yeah. good. It's that's it's a good amount of people, which is awesome. Um, it's very encouraging. Um, I don't know. For me, and this is this is me. Y'all can y'all can have your own answer to this. If you, if 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 you, if you don't want to share, that's totally fine. Um, but for me, the bread of the gospel. I, when you look at, I I love the book of Romans because it's so full of encouragement um, and just solid solid doctrine, teaching of what we need to know, um, that I love, you know, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17 really drives it home. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I love that so much because that can mean several things. It can mean 
the righteous, um, you, you can phrase it in different ways. You can say, and the Greek accounts for this as well, um, that you can say the righteous shall live by faith. That is, now they have eternal life, right? You have eternal salvation. But also, by faith you shall live. Meaning that and that's it. in your day-to-day life, you live by faith, right? Uh, that in your day-to-day life, you have been made righteous by faith, and by faith you shall now live and walk throughout your daily life as a new creation in Christ. That's that, all you need. You don't need to do good works. and You don't need to, you don't need to do good works for salvation, for salvation, but you do good works in response saying like, yeah, I want yeah, to. It's no longer a, a, a have to, but a get to. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things now, right? Um, so it's a call out of sin and death and into everlasting life, both here and now and for all eternity. Right? Uh, if, if, if we aren't ashamed of the gospel, then we should act like it and not hide it for fear of persecution or, or tribulation. Right? Um, there was a boldness that the early church had in the midst of martyrdom and persecution. I mean, not everybody made a solid confession. There were people who fell away. But those that did make a solid confession, it was because they understood, you can kill me. But I'm really gonna live forever. I don't. It doesn't really matter. De- What's the worst thing you can do to me? You're just changing. You can kill me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. As Luther liked to say, when when the Muslims were knocking at the door of Vienna, right? Um, the the Muslim Turks were trying to invade Europe, right? And he said, um, uh, the Muslims can take my head, for I have a God who will give me another one. Basically, he's like, I don't care. <laughs> you don't scare me. Yeah. Worst thing you can do is kill me, and that actually is a good thing for me. Yeah, it's not the end for me. Yeah, it's a good thing uh, in the end. So, um, and so your answers will vary on how the gospel has satisfied the hunger of your soul. Um, so I'll leave that for y'all. And also, I'll leave number eight for y'all as well to ponder, you know, summarize the purpose of Romans. Um, unless somebody wants to give it a quick shot before we close. So what is the purpose of Romans from what we've touched on today so far? Well, I think every letter he wrote was to, like, the people going a little bit astray, getting back in line again. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. unite the Jews and the Gentiles yep. during that, what, exile? Um... Or a banishment. It was. Um, it wasn't. No, that was. That was. That was after a certain exile. The Jews came back. The the Jewish Christians came back, right? And I mean, yeah. During during that time, during Nero, there was persecution and trials and problems. Um, so yeah, to bring unity in a time of hardship, for sure. Um, unity and faith. Right, for sure. That's that's part of it. Anything else? I have kind of a weird question. Sure, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, one sixteen. Uh huh. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Mm-hmm. Why does he put it that way? Because Jesus did. Because um, Jesus, okay. when he first came, it was first to the Jew because they were the people of the promise. 
um, they were the ones who were descended, uh, you know, they were the ones set apart, right? Um, all the way from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, you know, the line that continues on. Um, they were the people set apart for the promise. So they're the ones who are waiting for the Messiah. And most, most of the first converts to Christianity were ethnically Jewish or had already been converts to Judaism. They were Gentile Jews, basically, you know. Um, so that's why he says first to them, because they've been waiting. They've been waiting for, for Jesus to come, yeah. Uh, they've been waiting for the Messiah, but it's also, it says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So um, now, that, now that the Jews have received their Messiah, it's time for the, the Gentiles to believe as well. And that was always the mission, right? That was, that was always the mission that, uh, that the one true God of Israel was to be worshipped by all people. Yeah, not, that's not just the purpose to, to this. It's to bring everybody in. That's right. Yeah, so Paul wrote to encourage the congregation to unite them uh, behind the gospel and the spreading of the gospel, right? Uh, and what other main thing is he tackling in this in this book? Um, I think James kind of touched on it a little bit, that, but, but maybe more broadly. They might have had some issues going on, he doesn't address them specifically like he does in, you know, First uh, and Second Corinthians and, and other books and other letters, but it's general uh, doctrinal issues, right? And issues of practice. He's just laying it out there, and that's why I think this letter became so universally accepted and loved because it, it was something that all churches can abide by. It wasn't just for this one, right? Um so with that, we are at the end of our study for today. Um, words to remember, right? Verse 16, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first, to, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Um, and then so for next time, and uh, for next time, I want you all to do what the introduction says. Remember, read all of Romans in one sitting. It'll take about an hour, hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how slow or fast you read. Um, read it all the way through. Don't stop to ponder for too long. If you really notice something, maybe like make a note in the margin to come back for when we get there in the study. But just keep on plowing through. Read it all the way in one sitting. Get the broad overview. And then go back and read Romans 1, 1 through 17 for next time. Um, any questions so far? You're looking forward to it? It's good. Yeah. Been waiting. What's that? I'm glad we got it started. I've been waiting. Yeah, I know. I need to take a little time off, you know. Um, with no, I'm just I'm just glad not for I'm just glad that we it's moving forward. Yeah. To it. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. All righty. Well, um, everything you need is in your binder. I'm 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 not doing that thing where I give it to you piecemeal every week. So if you got a if you got to miss one week, you got you you got what we go through, and, and you can do it at home if you need to, and catch up later on or whatever. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's gonna be good. Um, if there are no other questions or comments, then 
So are there questions, comments? Not yet. I'm sure there will be in the next 16 weeks or so. Well, that, I'm up with a lot of questions for next time. Okay, good, good. I do not. I do not take. I do not mind questions. I love questions. Uh, it, it keeps. It keeps me on my toes. Um, and if I can't answer it, I will be honest and say I don't know, but I'll find out. Um, you know, I was talking to say I talk to other people who go to different churches. Yeah. You know, here's what we believe. Why do you believe the way you believe? Because then when they tell me that, I like to go back in the Bible and, well, where did you find that? What mm -hmm. you, you know, I want to check up on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and hopefully, hopefully. And learn something. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and hopefully they might thank you for asking because then they'll be like, oh, I never really thought about where that might be and I'd like to find out for myself. Yeah. You never know. Just keep going. Absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, well, if that's... If, that's all, then we will close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.